This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource, where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man. What's up? Today we are recording with Yasti. Yasti is Perkins killer. Duh. Have you guys heard of Yasti? Have you not? You will now and you will go look him up and follow his Instagram. That's the only place you can really find him. This guy has killed 23 of the 29 North American big game with a bow. He's got a lot of Pope and Young and Boone and Crockett animals. He's killed a ton of big elk, way bigger bulls than I'll ever see. And uh, he's a very accomplished professional archer as well. Family man, humble dude out of Montana. I'm so stoked to track this guy down. I've been following his journey on socials for just about a year now, and I got brave and reached out, and he obliged, and he is here on the podcast today. Awesome, man. Super stoked. Vortex wear, clothing that you can use while you're hunting, scouting, uh, maybe on a date with your wife. I need to go take mine on one soon. Um, when you're working out, whatever you need, Vortex wear, guys. Check it out. Um, the, the hashtag fit for anywhere if you want to look up some of the images on social. Uh, discount code is ElkShape20. That'll get you 20% off. Um, I'm wearing their shorts and their tees and their hoodies for my workout gear. Uh, I thought Vortex partnered with me because of their optics, but they've been telling me this is what they want me to push. I'm Super proud and honored to do that because this gear is stuff that I would wear and do wear while I hunt and work out, and I don't really do anything else besides those two. Wilderness Athlete has a discount code ELKSHAPE30 that will get you 30% off your first purchase. They're going to hook you. Uh, I know I burn through the Hydrate Recover two scoops a day. 
I'm drinking it right now. Um, the energy and focus for me is more like a late afternoon pick me up. Um, coffee is still my standalone pre-workout. Um, but then again, I work out in the morning on an empty stomach except for coffee. And I only work out in the mornings because I have to get it out of the way. Otherwise, I get a lot of anxiety the rest of the day. And I need to work out. I need to work out. And I hate that feeling. And some people know what I'm talking about. So I just knock out my workout first thing in the morning and it's done. It's out of the way. I don't do two a days. I don't do three a days. I don't have time for that. I don't make time for that. Uh, Wilderness Athlete makes really good protein. They have a variety of flavors, but really have a variety of purpose behind the protein. Some are designed for post-workout. Some are designed for you know, maybe in a smoothie or something as, you know, a meal replacement. Um, they have a lot of different stuff. So check them out. The fish oils, the multis, etc., etc. Super clean brand. This is why I stand by them. I do get messages about Mountain Ops sometimes. Um, they're good. They're a good company. They're cool. I'm not into the marketing behind all that. Like I feel like Wilderness Athlete is not a marketing brand. They've, they make really good supplements. They're super clean. They've been out since like 2006 and I like them, and that's why I take them. Stowaway Gourmet out of Oregon, the freeze-dried food that uh, is not disgusting and is actually have really good ingredients, real food that's not shipped in, made on site with chefs. The discount code is ELK10. You'll need that because their stuff's expensive. So try it. You get what you pay for. Stowaway Gourmet, discount code ELK10. They'll get you 10% off. All right. Black Ovis, I got a phone call into the man behind Black Ovis, so hopefully we'll talk about this discount code and making it a little bit better in 2021, hopefully. And better by maybe a better discount and better by um, this, the same thing across the board. So right now it's somewhere between 15 and 20% off if you use discount code Elkshape. And on certain items, due to their legal reasons, you can't get that price online. You have to make pick up the phone and tell me you're an Elk Shape podcast listener. It's really not that hard to save 20% by just picking up the phone. So do that. Lakewood Products makes some killer bow cases. Get the single or double. I got both. I strongly recommend you bring two bows to the backcountry, especially if you're hunting out of state. Look at me this year. I definitely burned through my, my primary bow and I had to rely on my backup bow. So the Lakewood product discount code is ElkShape2020. Get you 10% off. Climate, sleep systems. Um, I don't get a commission on any of this stuff. It's just they sent some stuff. I said, hey, can you get me a code for the listeners? I want to hook you guys up. I do like their bags, their pads specifically. Pretty good tents as well. They have some good items. Check them out. ElkShape20. Get you 20% off. Baku e-bikes. I had somebody message me on Instagram that uh, they can't believe I, I promoted or endorsed e-bikes and that were just for lazy people. And I couldn't disagree more, man. Like, I, there's not a thread, there's not an ounce of laziness in my body. I'm allergic to it. I despise it. But there is no denying that where legal, e-bikes are awesome, especially for elk hunting. They're quiet. You can cover awesome amount of ground. Uh, they're efficient. They're safe. And you can cover more country, especially if you're, if you're doing like land of the free, bugle, bugle, bugle. Do it quietly on an e-bike where legal and they're awesome. So discount code Elkshape 400. Get your 400 bucks off. I am going to use my e-bike right after this podcast when I go check one of my trail cameras. It's in a spot where it would take me oh, about 90 minutes to hike one way. I'm going to check that camera in about 15 minutes and my whole day's not burnt. And it's very, it's not intrusive. Animals won't hear me coming. 
I'll wait for, like, so it's supposed to be really windy, so I'm going to sneak in. It's very close to a bedding area, so, I mean, it's very important. Obviously, this is whitetail now. And I'm going to get in there, get that camera, and get out. And so e-bikes are awesome. That's what I got for you guys today. We're going to get in with Yasti. Uh, keep in mind, we do have seven oak-shaped camps, and registration is open. However, early bird pricing is going to expire December 31st, 2020. So if you're on the fence, get off the fence. Cross it and let's go. Let's roll. First one is in Texas at Corbin's Archery, February 5th through the 7th. They have a $150 hotel voucher to anyone traveling from afar. That's just, there you go. And then Corbin's giving away a Matthews V3 fully decked out and tuned to one participant at that specific camp. So if you have the options of all the camps, go to that one. You got a chance winning a brand new bow. Then we're going to Nashville, Tennessee. Then Marysville, Ohio, Boise, Idaho, Lancaster, PA, Denver, Colorado, and Ogden, Utah. I mean, we are stacked, and it's going to be a great season. All right, guys, let's get into the podcast with Yasti. We're going to geek out on archery. We're going to talk about elk hunting. We're going to learn his story. It's going to be awesome. You have the best day ever, and I'll catch you at the end of the show. Well, thanks <laughs> thanks for taking the time. Um, I know your time's valuable, and I'm super stoked. This podcast gets about 30,000 downloads a month. So, I mean, it'll be good if you have anything you want to promote, but really I just was creeping on your Instagram forever and I'm like, okay, I want to get this guy on. He knows a lot about archery. He looks, this is an old OG in the game. So I didn't, my plan was just to basically have a conversation with you, get to know you and hit record while I do that. Yeah, man. Thanks for the love. Thank you for the love. And I think, uh, I know you're going to call me on this, but, uh, I think, it's because I'm ugly and short that animals seem to want to stand there broadside for me, man. I don't know if it's about any knowing anything. A little bit of luck, a lot of luck to go with it. Yeah, being short is an advantage, man. I'm a short guy. I'm 5'6", yeah. and it, oh, is an, it is an advantage. We'll talk about it. But uh, how do I say your first name? My name is Yasti, yep. Y-A-H-S-T-I. Yasti, last name Perkins Killer. Is it really Perkins Killer? Yeah, man. I'm a native. We kind of, we uh, kind of got our names uh, translated. Some of the names when we were being registered onto the re reserves, our names were sometimes translated properly, sometimes they weren't. And a quick little story: my grandfather happened to kill a man by the name of Perkins. So while they were bringing him to be hung. They wrote his name down as Perkins's killer, and he got away. Luckily for us, because we're descended from him, he got away, and uh, the whole thing started from him pushing my deaf grandmother down, and got into the fight with the officer and put the man down, and that's how we got our name. I love it. I think that's awesome, man. Um, yeah, Appreciate it, man. we don't we don't control where we come from, but we definitely recognize where we come from. And that was beautifully uh, said. That's cool. I like it. So your name's Yosti. I found you on Instagram. I started following you over a year ago. And I saw you post something where you're on a podcast. I'd never heard of the podcast. I went and listened to it. And then I just stashed it away. Yosti, I was like, I am gonna get a hold of Yosti and see if I can get him on my podcast. So um for me, for the listeners of the Oak Shape Podcast, give us a quick little intro on who you are where you live what you do all that jazz well i'm a 
born and raised hunter. I've been hunting all my life. I remember being bundled up to where I look the shape of a star. I had so many clothes on walking through the woods with my dad. And it's been generation upon generation. I live here in Montana. Uh, elk kind of got the the hook into me and have never let go. I mean, I've hunted everything, just about every animal we have on the continent here. Uh, I have 23 of the 29 North American and uh, a little too broke to finish off the slam, but that's the <laughs> plan anyways. <laughs> That's right. So where in Montana are you? I'm in southeast Montana. I'm over uh, just south south and east of Billings. So kind of, kind of in the prairie there. Yeah. Okay. I was just over there last week. I, I drove through there. I was in, um, I tried, I sniffed around Miles City a little bit for mule deer. I had tagged out in South Dakota and I had that general deer tag. And so I was like, man, I'm going to see if I can find something to to chase or pursue and I hung out over there and um beautiful prairie country unbelievable sunsets and sunrises and I've hunted out a coal strip a few times and I, I don't know what it is about eastern Montana sunrises sunsets I don't know if you guys take it for granted well you probably have been everywhere so you know what I'm talking about but like for folks listening eastern Montana sunrises sunsets I don't know what it is but it is truly the big sky when I think of big sky would you agree I, I would 100% agree with that. I yeah, I was just thinking about this because the pictures that I had to take of the last whitetail I harvested, it was right, you know, in that crimson time of the day where the sky is pink and orange and yellow. And I don't know of anywhere else I've ever been where it it illuminates everything with that color, with those colors, changes the color of everything. and I mean, I, like I said, I've been to Maine, I've been to Alaska, I've been to Mexico, I've been everywhere. And it just, like you say, I'm, I'm going to have to agree with you on that. Montana has some of those beautiful sunrises and sunsets for sure. Mm, that's great. So family first, um, are you married? Do you have children? What's that look like? Yes, I am married, uh, happily married for 15 years. Uh, we have four girls and two boys um and uh you our boys are the younger of the bunch and i think god did that for us because if we would have had the boys earlier on i don't know if we would have kept having kids <laughs> the boys are a little rough man a little i got a little bunch of radicals for boys but uh stream i got a bunch of right there in teenage and all the way down to uh two years old. Mm, yeah. I only have a girl and a boy, but my son is a full-time job and my daughter oh, is smooth sailing. That That's it. Facts of life right there. And then and I think it'll probably flip flop in about 10 years when she's a teenager, but we'll see. Oh man. That's we're We're just now going through that now where the, the girls have been innocent and loving and mm. nothing but helpful to, all of a sudden, we don't do anything right for them, and this and that. Well, I guess, I guess we'll see where that goes. Oh yeah, man. So, what's your day job? What do you do for work? You hunt a lot. People ask me all the time, "What kind of job should I get so I can hunt the most?" I always tell them the same advice: work for yourself. Don't trade dollars for hours, and you can hunt a lot. Otherwise, 
you will have to budget your two or three weeks of vacation. Uh, what do you do? That's that's well said. That's very good uh, advice to others. Um, I always looked at working for somebody else as I was renting a house. You rent somebody's house and you're helping pay their bills versus you owning a house and, you know, taking care of your own and building yourself. So I work for myself. Um, I am a full-time hunter. I work with a few different companies that help me get places and uh, help me to live the lifestyle that I've chosen. And I'm super thankful for it. I used to write a lot. Um, but and I used to shoot professionally, um, Target, and that kind of got me into uh, the door that I needed open to keep going through professional archery and hunting. Phenomenal. Now, when people ask you, what do you do for work? Somebody asked me in South Dakota. Um, I met a guy. I was packing a deer out, and he offered to give me a ride through private property so I could get the rest of my deer. And I obliged. And I said, thank you. And he's like, what do you do for work? And I said, I said, I am a professional hunter. And he was like, what? And I'm like, honestly, I don't know what I am. I am a digital creator. I do things in the hunting space. So that's what I do. But when you tell people that, like, do they ever ask, like, what does that look like? I mean, cause it's, I'm sure it sounds good on the, um, from the outside looking in Yasti, but like there's deliverables, there's these companies want things from you. Give us a little inside look. Perfect. Um, so you do have the greatest job, but you also have to remember that though you are self-employed, you still have partnerships with others and those partnerships, they help you to get to where you need to be. So the pressure comes on, on having to deliver on your end. And, um, I, that part of loving, I love to hunt. I love to be out there. I, I find myself forgetting, not totally forgetting, but in all honesty, like forgetting that I'm out there. Sometimes I'm just taking in the moment, enjoying the, enjoying the fresh air, enjoying the solitude and, I have to come back to reality and realize, man, I I have to deliver no matter what. So people go, well, man, you, but but you but you hunt for a living. It's great. I'll never say that it's not great, but I also have to deliver. So I don't just hunt for joy anymore. I hunt because I have to deliver as well, so I can keep feeding my family the way I do. And perfect example of this here. Um, I had I have some places that I've really learned well that a lot of people have overlooked other hunters of my area have overlooked. And I got into some elk this year as an example of this whole, um, having to deliver the bull I shot this year. Nice bull, great bull. I was happy to have him. He, he's right there in the mid three seventies. And I had him crossing. He, his cows were crossing, uh, huge gulch and i was trying to get to him so i kept sneaking kept sneaking kept sneaking and uh i'd have to stop every time you know a few of his cows figured something wasn't quite right or caught me in the in the moment or may have caught me so i'd get stuck you know as he was raking on a tree and i realized he was 
flipping out. He was raking on this tree, bugling, chuckling. I was man, he's really changed his attitude suddenly. And all of a sudden, I hear like the cheapest, cheapest bugle in the world. And I look over, and what it was is he was smelling another bull coming in, and that bull finally bugled. I look over, and here's a 400, 410-inch bull just across the gulch. And I'm going, oh, my God, this is my dream bull. He's finally here, my dream bull. And I'm stuck in the dilemma of do I go for the – do I take this bird in the bush? I mean, do I take this bird in the hand, or do I go for that those two in the bush across the gulch? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, because I'm so worried about, you know, getting content and making sure I provide for my sponsors and my partners and everything else. If it wasn't for feeling the pressure, I would have, God, this sounds horrible. I would have let this bull go and went for that bigger bull. But because of, you know, knowing that I have to deliver, I didn't, I couldn't take that chance. And when he stepped out, where I where I gave myself that, okay, if he steps within this line, I'll ha- I'll take him. If he doesn't, that's my that's my opportunity to say no. I'll go for the other one. And sure enough, he stepped right there, and uh, I took the bird in the hand. But you know, and that's that's that whole pressure thing that we talk about. I mean, it sounds like I'm not thankful. Don't get me wrong. I'm super thankful. Super happy that I get to hunt. Super happy that I get to do what I do. But every once in a while, it really does, you know, put pressure on you. Having partners, having sponsors, you you change what you would have done in a hunt because you know you have to provide. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's as transparent as anyone has ever been on the subject at hand. I don't think anyone actually likes to talk about that. Um, I'm pretty well known in my circles of. I'm the honest friend. I will tell you the truth no matter what, if it hurts or not. And that is a, that is a real thing um, to a degree, um, maybe different for you than me, but there's definitely an unsettling pressure of like, so we don't know each other, but I'm, I, I teach elk hunting clinics, elk shaped camps for a living. And awesome. it is awesome. But this was the very first year where I had hunted for 12 days and I hadn't killed an elk yet. Now, and, and I had felt pressure. I was like, how are you going to teach people how to elk hunt when you can't even get one killed? And that actually came into my mind. And I literally, I kind of stopped for a second and was like, okay, wait a second. I don't hunt for any other reason than for myself. And it, you know, I can, um, kill an elk or not. It's, it comes down to some luck for sure. And be at the right place at the right time and, and being blessed. And I just kind of had to have a pep talk with myself and be like, you know what, dude, you never want that to be in your mind when you're hunting. You're hunting because this is who you are. This is what you would do regardless if your paycheck depended upon it. Um, And so it's good to hear someone else like have that come into their mind because, you know, um, people don't think about that. But it is a real thing. And 370, 410, in my world you know, either way, you're going to win. I mean, that's a phenomenal public land bull. And, you know, the skill to just be in tight and to see, I've never seen a 410 and 370 in the same frame ever. You know what I mean? So that's incredible. That was the first for me. That was the first for me. That was definitely a first. 
Um, and I've that's only the fourth 400 plus inch bull I've ever seen in my life. I've been doing this since I was a kid. Yeah. And only the fourth, honest to God, 400 inch bull I've seen. Only the fourth one I've only seen in my entire life in the wild. And I mean, that's something that, you know, that that's a loose statement. You always hear guys say, oh man, he was 350. And you're like, you see that bull and you go, oh, he's about 310. But to actually, you know, see a 400 inch or a true 400 inch bull is i think is a feat in itself you know yeah i've only seen one and it was way early in my hunting career and i watched him go into yellowstone i was hunting the border of yellowstone in wyoming in like 2007 he had about mm, 100 plus cows we didn't know what we were doing and uh we totally boogered the situation and watched him go in there and it's incredible to see something like that, the magnitude. Um, one thing you mentioned said you've, you've been doing this, you know, since you were little. How did you get a bow in your hand? And take as much time as you need. Tell me about your journey, because I know you're really technical into your archery, especially you shot professionally. Like that says enough for me. Take me through that journey. Okay, so uh, my dad, you know, luckily for Luck, I, I say luckily because I, I feel it's such a blessing that come from a family that has been hunting. You know, you know that you know and appreciate where your food comes from mm-hmm. more than ever. You know, and I, I truly feel that. I'm so thankful to my father, and my grandfather for keeping our hunting ways about us, guys. And uh, I've been, I started archery hunting uh when i was 11 and my dad put a bow in my hands and you know playing around i'd you know try to shoot anything at any time that my dad allowed my dad always had the big thing where if you shoot it you have to eat it and i remember i chased a rabbit around in our yard up at our hunting camp for probably two days and I'm surprised he ever hung around because I missed him 50 times if I missed him once. But um, finally got the rabbit and I'm, you know, I'm thinking, oh man, I got my rabbit. And, you know, buzz a bum. Okay, well, what now? My dad said, well, you got to skin him. Got to gut him, got to eat him. And uh, I re- remember that from that point, you know, wow, dad was serious. You eat anything, you know, that you're, that has given you its life. And it meant a lot. So, I mean, it meant even more knowing that I took it with a stick and string. And by the time I was 16, I had totally given up on uh, gun hunting. So I've been with a bow in my hand solely, unless it was coyotes or something, you know. I do coyote hunt still and everything else with the 223. But archery for eating animals since I was 16 years old. And... Um, moving on to where I started shooting tournaments, I started hunting harder and harder and I, I didn't want to just shoot a spike every year. I didn't want to just shoot, you know, a four corn. I, I wanted every year I wanted to step up and I got, I remember this like it happened yesterday. I remember I was with my buddies and it was rifle season and I still wanted to go with my bow and 
they were like, well, you know, uh, we'll drop you off on top of the coolie here. And uh, if you jump anything, you're going to push it right down the coolie to us. So basically, I was the bird dog on this day. <laughs> and I remember, get, I remember getting out of the truck. I, I, truck Adams was and is my hero. I shot uh, Hoyt. Oh, I can't remember the name of that bow. It was a finger bow. It was a nice 42-inch bow. And whatever it was, I, I shot fingers, aluminum arrow, uh, anything Chuck Adams was doing, I was doing at that age. And I remember, you know, I couldn't hear the truck anymore. And I started moving towards the coulee. I was about a quarter mile from the coulee. And I got about 300 yards from the road. And all of a sudden, I see a fork move behind some greasewood. I said, all right, all right, there's a buck right there, right on. I'll, I'll show these guys, thinking it's forkhorn. And uh, I keep slipping up, keep slipping up. Thank God I didn't see the rest of them because I would have never made the, the trip there. So finally, I get to about 60 yards, and I had one of them cheap, original Bushnell monocular doubled in the front rangefinder 400s. That thing was as big as a set of binoculars today. And uh, I remember ranging and going, all right, cool. I, I'm getting close. I'm getting within shooting range. And all of a sudden, he moved his head again. And that was just the front fork that I had seen. And I remember my legs shaking. And I couldn't stop shaking and realize it was a big buck. And I got to within 52 yards of him. I remember the number. I'll never forget the number. And I said, I'm going to stop because I'm going to blow it. I can't get any closer because I know I'm going to mess up here and I can make this shot. And uh, right when I knelt down, I don't know if he got up because I had moved too fast or, you know, I was just a kid. He got up and he was stretching his front end. And I remember drawing my bow and I remember watching the pin. I've never, till this day, I don't think I ever remember seeing a pin shake. Your pin moves, but to see it shake is, those are two different things. I remember seeing my pin shake. And I put it center ribs, he was slightly quartering away. I put center ribs on him, and it took about 10 minutes for that arrow to get there, I think. <laughs> but it's, it's so slow, you know, shooting fingers with a short draw, like that thing took forever to get there. And it, it lobbed into the opposite shoulder, and, uh, he went 40 yards and tipped over and he was, he ended up grossing 197 and he was, I was, that was my bird dog, but good and, Lord. And, <laughs> and, uh, I remember the boys coming back. They had like a three by eight and another deer. You were supposed to meet us down there. What, what, what happened? Did you get one? Yeah, I got one. Oh, cool. Right on. Is it a good one? Yeah, it's a pretty good one, I think. They drive over. Oh, man, they all flipped out. You know, we all had my buddies, like, 30 at the time. He goes, man, you know, just, I've been out here all my life. You come out here one day, shoot the biggest buck I've ever seen. And that's when I knew it was, you know, cool, a nice buck. And, yeah, he, um, he kind of started, that buck started me on the road to getting a little bit of recognition. And... And uh, I started chasing mule deer from there, and I talked to a buddy by the name of Charlie Owens, who used to work at Sherlock at the time, and he was my first sponsor. And he said, you keep shooting things like this, I'll make sure that you uh, 
you you go where you need to get where you're supposed to be in life and sure enough Easton picked me up and Hoyt and it all of a sudden you know I was like well I got to get better you know and I started shooting tournaments and started winning some local tournaments and uh then I see these guys shooting these long stabs and everything else and I didn't know what the hell they meant you know I didn't know what they what they were for or anything else and I shot a score that was equal with uh, the guy that shot, th- he won third place at that tournament, pro in a pro tournament, and I shot that score with a hunting bow, and so I started trying to pay attention to what was going on and got in tournament archery and went went that route. Started winning a couple tournaments and then whole uh, TP hit me, target panic hit me like no tomorrow because I had to provide pictures I felt like I had to uh I had to perform and I got target panic so bad that I wasn't even getting on the target and I was you know letting the string go oh wow and yeah it was bad it was super bad so uh my buddy again Charlie Owens he grabbed a hold of me and said well you're gonna do this and he got me involved with uh, another big coach at the time and uh i shot a hinge for a year never shooting never winning a tournament never placing i had to regroup myself oh yeah and that's a long process a year a year and a one year and i had a release that would go off i had a release that couldn't go off i had you know i had a release that was set light a release that was set cold they call it the randy ulmer yes uh, randy ulmer release and I had three of them and it got me through it. And now to this day, I shoot a hinge. I don't, I don't shoot a thumb. I don't shoot anything. Everybody asks me, you shoot that for hunting? God, yes, absolutely. Why oh, not? It keeps you super honest. Oh man. I mean, you mess up with a hinge. It, it lets you know about it, but like you say, it keeps you true. It keeps you honest. And I mean, there's shots that I would, that I've made with a hinge that I don't know if I could have made with a, with a index or a thumb and that's being a hundred percent. I mean, and you know, that steps into another category of, uh, getting a little bit of hater aid for, uh, distances that I've shot, but I guess we'll talk about that later. Oh yeah. We'll get to some controversial distances. Honestly, it ain't ethical if you don't practice it. Uh, that's the first and foremost, we've talked about that on this podcast before, but you got to know your own limits as well. Um, what hinge are you using in your current setup right now? I shoot the true ball HBC. Okay. And I think I, that same one, that same release. I mean, I have two or three of them, but that same release I've probably killed 40 animals with. Mm-hmm. No doubt. So, no doubt. So yeah. did you have to hire a coach, um, or did you have to get a mentor, to take you through that year journey? I mean, obviously somebody's got to give you the advice along the way there. Charlie was Charlie Owens. He is my, my coach. He's my mentor till this day. I mean, I, I coach now and, uh, till this day, me and him talk, you know, I mean, I've, I've gone different routes and then he's brought me in, but I've also stuck with some of the routes that he's kept me on. And, um, if it wasn't for Charlie, I, I, I'm, I try to be as truthful as possible. If it wasn't for Charlie, I wouldn't be where I am today. 
Now is Charlie, what is Charlie doing now? Charlie is, he was a uh, little, little history behind Charlie. Charlie was ASA shooter of the year, IBO shooter of the year, which won multiple championships. The dude's world champion, everything at one time or another. He shot limited pro, which was shooting fingers, everything else, but a release. And he dominated his category for years in the IBO and ASA. And, um, now I think Charlie just uh, he kind of went where he wanted to go in the archery industry, and he kind of now he has his own business of uh, floor finishing in Indiana. And I mean, the guy that he hurts for nothing. Now. I mean, he he got into a business that has made him a small mint, so kind of does what he wants now. I'm pretty sure I've hunted with Charlie a long time ago. Uh, um, up in kind of bigger man. Yeah, I hunted with Charlie in Alberta a long time ago, maybe ten years ago. I was hunting whitetails, and um, Charlie was up there, and then Sean Munson and Anthony Dixon from Full Moon Productions back that would in the be day. Them. That'd be Charlie. They okay, call Charlie. We call Charlie Yoda because he's the master Jedi of the mind. He he coached Sean and and Dix, and so Dix coached so. me. So indirectly, okay. I guess I've had some Charlie coaching, but Dix would Dix coached me um, quite a bit. Uh, uh, just coming up, those guys took good care of me, and uh, Charlie shot a really nice buck on opening day. Lucky as hell, and uh, he hung out at camp all week while my dad and I grinded it out. We didn't get anything, but uh, yeah, I've shared camp with Charlie. It's a small archery's a small world, and oh, uh, I always wonder what happened to him if. Because is Sherlock, they're still in business, aren't they? I believe so. I believe they've gone through a couple different hands, but I think they're still in business. Um, I've seen them around a little bit, but not. It, they were the number one back then. Oh, yeah. That's what you I can, shot. You can, you can do better than a Sherlock. And mm-hmm. now, you know, uh, the world cha- the world rotates no matter what. So you got to stay with the times. And um, I think... <clears throat> I think Sherlock's still a great side. I just uh, think that there's companies that are a little hungrier right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all it is. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know. I didn't know we had that kind of common thread. But yeah, Anthony Dixon definitely used to coach me, and uh, he was kind of my first exposure to coaching. And the poor bastard had to coach a kid who really taught himself all the bad habits. No one ever taught me. And so I always tell people on this podcast or at my camps or whatever, get if you're just getting into archery, go get a coach. Like pay the money, get some lessons, and know that you're going to have to mitigate target panic down the road. Everybody will. And if you have a coach teaching you these really good basic fundamentals, they never change. They never go away. Um, And so I'm jealous. That's cool that you had a Yoda. And then you got competitive. Oh, I'm telling you, dude, that, that dude is dude is amazing. And I kind of, you know, stemmed. I'm, I'm on the same tree still, but I just, I, how would you say? I kind of go about archery a lot more mentally than a lot of people can sometimes even accept. Um, when I coach, it's, if you know the basics, of course, if you don't know the basics, if I have to re- retrain you, that's only 5% of it. 
95% of it is in, in between your ears. And the more you can accept, the better off you're going to be, the better of a shot you're going to be, the better all-around person you're going to be. I mean, I used this boxing. I used this shooting. I used the, the part of part of my coaching came from Charlie when it came to the mental. The other part came from my boxing coach that, you know, brought me on to win the gloves and everything else. And the dude, he the way he explained things made me I, – I, I don't feel as a competitor. I feel you're just in my way. And I know that sounds ugly, but you have to have that little bit of cockiness. You have to have that little bit of extra than somebody else can accept mentally. So, I mean, Charlie, Charlie was on that same map, just not to such an extent. And then with my arch, my boxing coach, he was on the same map as Charlie, just at a, you know, not at a different, on another avenue of levels, not higher, not lower, just different teaching, different mentality. And kind of, I realized with these two people that it worked for two different things. So it's, there's gotta be something to it. And I, that's what I've stemmed, you know, my, what coaching I do today off of. I love it. No, that makes sense. Yeah. I, the mind is primary and that's not just to bow hunting. That's to a disciplined lifestyle and, Facts. and really getting the most out of life is it all starts and ends between the ears. So let's, let's get to the mentality of a successful elk hunter like yourself. This is the elk shape podcast. When I talk, when I think about someone like you with a, you know, a pretty deep pedigree and target archery, it's almost not fair. Like you're, you're inside a certain distance, it's game over, but I want to get into the tactics of Yasti and how he plans his elk season. I know you, I mean, you hunt a lot of species, what time of year are you not thinking about anything else but elk? How much time do you give yourself for elk? Kind of let us kind of understand where you're coming from when it comes to elk hunting. This is going to sound horrible. You asked me a horrible question, man. Then I have to be brutally honest. Give about. it to me straight. I don't, I never, I, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about elk. Mm-hmm. And that's being 100%. I have an addiction. I understand I have an addiction. It's not drugs. So that's a good thing. It's not alcohol. So that's a good thing. I do have an addiction and it's elk. I mean, that is all I can think about year round. And um, the strategies I use are, I, this is elk shape. So I'm going to be a hundred percent. If I had a job and my job told me you can only go on these days, you can't have the whole season. I'd already be looking for another job. Elk season comes first before just about food, literally. I, I When it comes time to be in the elk woods, I have to be there. And I've noticed I'm, this is leading on to something else. I, I It took me all these years to come to realization when the best time to be in the elk woods is. Of course, anytime you're in the elk woods, it's the best time, but if somewhere, someone were to ask me what were the most important times of being in the elk woods, I'd have to say first week where everybody is like, I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. I, I am 
I'll, I'll get to that in a second. And third and fourth week are amazing to me. Uh, second week where everybody's like, oh my God, but the rut's taken off, but this, but that. I find there's a, there's a lull in there. It's a little bit of a lull where bulls will come out of the hills because they'll get that first sweet smell. It's not quite the smell that they're waiting for, that they're, that they're yearning for, but it's enough smell to get them out of the hills to start coming around the cows. And that's usually around the first week of our, our archery season here in Montana. The second week, yeah, they're around, but they're not as they're like, oh man, I came down here a little too early. I, I kind of, they kind of lose interest. <laughs> so true. Yeah. You were preaching gospel. This is gold, oh, man. Keep going. And you know, I, I, people go, well, don't you, don't you think, you know, well, the book says, I don't care what the book says. I know what I've seen in my, with my own eyes. I know year to year that yes, I've done okay in the second second week of season but you know that first week is amazing to me and i'll go through the weeks with you here so first week i am the guy that everybody hates because i'm waiting to see all these elk get pushed around and i'm waiting for the cows to get pushed the most important thing is you follow the doe eventually you'll get the buck you follow the cows eventually you'll get the bull and I'll watch all these hunters start coming in from out of state and all the local hunters. Um, what do you call them? They'll start glassing them from the road, not realizing that they're little by little pushing them. You know, elk, elk, are, elk have the eyes of a human, the smell of a bear, and the ears of a mule deer. They're the, they are the perfect you know, pray. They are the animal that will give you the most headache, period. And they can travel country better than any other animal I know. Mm. So I I wait for the pressure to start happening. I wait for these elk to start leaving private meadows earlier. I'll And I do this where most people go, no, that doesn't work. Oh, I've done that. I'll knock on a door and say, hey, I don't Good afternoon. I live here. Blah blah blah. blah. I, I'm not asking if I can hunt your place, but I'm asking. I'm asking if I can access that that bunch of public land behind you. I don't want to hunt your place. I'll fix a fence. I'll change your tire. I'll do whatever I have to do, just to cross this line. If that, if you know, whatever it is. And a lot of people go, well, that doesn't work. The worst they can say is no. And that's the biggest thing that a lot of people are just, they can't, they can't, you know, hear, no, well, I've been denied a bunch of times in life, you know, nine times out of 10, they're going to say no, but that one time they're going to say yes. Or I have a little honey hole here that has about six foot of access from the road that a lot of people overlook. Six foot of access is all, it's like six or eight feet of access, a piece of public land that touches the road. That if you don't stream down on your Onyx maps or on your base maps, base maps shows it even better. If you don't stream down on it, you would think it doesn't touch the road. I've had a hundred guys pass through that spot where I've killed one, two, three, four bulls all over 360. Good Lord. 
on a piece of ground that touches the road that drivers that are looking for, you know, those access points have driven right by. And it's not the biggest piece either. It's it's a section. And they're, oh, man, the elk will be on and off there before I can even get set up. I'll take that chance, you know. So I wait for hunters to start moving the elk around quite a bit and figure out where the elk are aiming towards, leaving, you know, they're pointing towards another area, whatever. If I can find access into there, that's where I'll be. And I don't call whatsoever. I call. The only time I call is to stop the animal. I, I don't, I leave, I don't bugle. I don't, I, a lot, I just read an article that totally goes against everything I'm saying right now. But, um, guys, this guy wrote about, uh, giving animals too much credit for what they can contemplate. And I honestly believe that I've seen animals go, man, that I've been there before and I know there's something right there and I know that that thing wasn't there before and, you know, they go another route. So when you're in the woods 200 days a year, 175, 200 days a year, you, you really get to watch animals in their natural state, you know, and watch them do it too much to where I have to give them the credit to where I think they really can think. Not it's not like we do, but they dang sure know when something's not right. They dang sure know that this this article had something to do with whitetails being scared of their own shadows. I don't know if that man's ever stepped into Western, you know, the Western United States because deer live out on the prairies. They see their shadows all the time. You know, and it just and he meant that in a literal statement. I've seen whitetails spook from their own shadows and. That's why they stay in the shade, this, this, and that. I'm like, man, I, I totally disagree, bro. But yeah, everybody hunting. I think the tactic um, that you're talking about, though, is probably pretty important to note that you're in a little bit more open country where you, you can glass and see them or they're vocalizing so you can at least get a start where they're at. Like if you're hunting true timber elk, it's not always easy to not vocalize, but I would say you still can put your calls away, even in timber elk when they're when they're vocalizing, and let them do their thing. Um, if, am I talking the right style? Are we on the same page? Yeah, you 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 hit you hit the other side of the page that I was uh, that I was wanting to get to that I completely forgot about because I started talking about so much of this side of it. But you're absolutely right. Now, I used to guide. I guided forever on public and private land. And, um, sometimes, you know, you have to change your tactics. I had clients always go, you know, well, why aren't you calling? Why aren't, because the elk aren't calling. So, I mean, yes, it works sometimes. You know, you get them to start bugling. You get them to locate. You get them, you know, all right, that, yeah, okay. Oh, it is time to bugle. It's right, right at first light. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll let him know where I am. You know, elk will, elk will let each other know where they are, give themselves their buffer zones. And it works. But there's times where people go, man, I didn't hear a single bugle this morning. And I bugled 50 times. And it's like, you 
have to stop bugling and start listening. I don't just listen for bugles. I mean, you're telling people, look, man, calling's cool. It's sexy. It's what we all sign up for. But truly, listening more. I mean, I just couldn't agree more with everything you've said so far. Um, I hunted for August 30th till September 28th. I took a week off and then I hunted one day in Montana. Um, so I killed three bulls this year, but there was like insane elk hunting the first week. I mean, just as good as you described, there was an undeniable lull that lasted honestly almost two weeks. And then the back end of September was phenomenal. And then I hate talking about this publicly, but October, early October is absolutely my favorite, but Man, you're as bad as I am. October's my time. And I hate sharing all this, but I, I, at the end of the day, my success won't get in the way of your success, and your success won't get in the way of mine. Like, I don't mind show, showing my cards to the listeners. That's why they, they join in, because I want them to be successful. Absolutely. I mean, as hunters, we, we, owe, it, we owe it to one another to, you know, be happy for one another and, you know, hope for success on one another. Envy and jealousy, there's not enough time in the world for that. There's not enough space in the world for that. I mean, you you, you have to, to keep hunting happily. You have to be happy. People have to be happy around you. Those, those guys that get to that point of, oh, man, he got another one, or, you know, not being just genuine, you know, genuinely kind. I mean, that's part of what's hindering our sport today. And, and I'm just being 100%. I mean, I know that's not a topic that we were on, but it's true. It's the truth. It's the truth. So if you had to pick three days in September and three days in October, and they don't have to be consecutive, look at your history. Give me three days in September that you would hunt. Seven, eight, nine of well, Sep- our, our season sometimes in, in September in Montana, depending on the year, is it starts the third. Or it starts the seventh, right? And uh, seven, eight, nine has been phenomenal for me. My seasons are usually, you know, if if the moon is right, if everything is right, seven, eight, nine is going to be really, really hard to beat. Mm. What about in October? Let's say you got a tag in. It's in October. What three days? They don't have to be consecutive either. But where would you? What days would you hit it? Man, that first week of October for sure. Yeah, first week of October is amazing. Uh, Four, five, and six. Okay. If I, people I, listening aren't listening, I can't help you. This is the good. <laughs> this is the greatest information out there. Um, let's talk about moon. A lot of people freak out about it. I'll tell you right now, Yasti. Uh, I don't plan my hunts around the moon when it comes to elk, and that's because I will quit jobs for elk hunting. I'm going to be out there regardless. But not everybody has that in their lifestyle. So right. If let's just say you're not Yasti, you're not Dan, you're not quitting jobs to go elk hunting. Nothing's more important to you. You have to to allocate time. How do you plan around the moon or do you not plan around the moon for your elk hunts? Okay. I don't, I mean, like I know what, what helps and I, I do have an ace up my sleeve. Um, my brother is a wildlife biologist that just, he is amazing. Like I, I'm the I'm the dumb one of the family and he happens to be the super, super smart one of the family. So he, they're, they're onto something new. They're onto, um, the amount of, uh, the amount of light that's 
uh, entering the amount of light during the day is what they're figuring is what's triggering uh, ruts for deer, for elk, for anything. Sure. And um, when he tells me to go out, when he says, man, this should be prime time, he has not been wrong yet. So when we talk about the moon, getting back to the moon, when we talk about the moon, when you're hunting a full moon, I've killed, now don't get me wrong, I've killed one of the, I killed a, the best bull of my life. I killed on a full moon, but I was hunting a drought and I was hunting a water tank at the time. And so I, I think that attributes to a lot of it. Um, but when, when the moon is at its darkest, when we don't have, you know, right in between moon phases, animals, remember they use that, that the, the, uh, the light of the moon to, you know, for their eyes as well at night. These are nocturnal animals. Um, and during moonlight phases, they can see a lot better. They can handle a lot better, everything else. When it's really dark, their activity seems to dwindle. And that gives us more daytime action. So, uh, and if the moon is full, um, I do tend to see that they'll go crazy at night and it'll be kind of, it'll kind of, it'll be a weak morning hunt, but all of a sudden you'll get that one bull at 10, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock in a day that is back on the move. He, he had his moment of rest right there at first of daylight because he's been running around all night and he'll be back on his feet, 9, 10, 11, 12 in a day where most people are going in. I don't go in when I'm hunting, I'm hunting, especially, you know, during those harder times during that moon phase, when the moon is full, I do not go in. I'm waiting for that one bull to be back on his feet. He got a little bit of rest. He's back on his feet. And, um, that's about the one time I'll cow call. I'll, and it, it, that depends if I'm in the timber, if I can tell that it's a mature bull and I, I listen to bull, I listen to bugles. Um, I'm a, a hard believer of a big bull can sound like a little tiny bull, but a little bull can never sound like a big bull, a uh, mature bull. So what I mean, where that puts me is if I can't see, if I'm in the timber, I want to get a look at this bull to see if he's what I'm wanting to chase. So I will throw a cow call out there. I live where I live now. I can usually see animals before I hear them. And that kind of, that's, that's a big help, but it also is a hinder because you don't have the cover to move all the times that you need it. Getting back to the moon phase of it. Um, don't be afraid to hunt midday when you have a full moon. Stay out there. No matter how tired you are, why walk back to the truck when you got to walk back out there again? Just stay out there, relax. You may get that one bull to bugle. You may get that one bull looking. You know, he's on the, he's on the look. Mornings on a dark moon, you know, when, it, when in between moons, mornings and evenings are amazing. I've never had it different. There's never been an anomaly of it not happening on a in between moons i'm always going to be there morning and evening no matter what
Got it. I love it. Um, I want to get into a little bit of technical archery because I would be disappointed in myself if I didn't talk about it with you. Um, and so I'm going to go right to it, Yasti. Uh, right now, it's November. You have to shoot your bow probably every day. I think it's just a way of life for you. What's the best way to go out your back door and do a session to where you're not just mindlessly flinging arrows, but there's a purpose to your practice? Here's a perfect challenge. I just started this this year, and uh, it, has helped, it has improved my shooting exponentially. And I'm sad that I didn't do this 20 years ago. Um, this is going to sound weird, and I hope it does. I hope it catches somebody's ear in a better way. <clears throat> I, when it's cold outside, here in Montana, I mean, we've already had minus six this year here at the house. So it gets cold. I mean, and I don't have an indoor range. I do have a great outdoor range where I shoot out to 160 yards. But when it's really cold out, I have eight yards in my house to shoot in. And I use that eight yards. I use five of that eight yards to shoot each and every one of my arrows through paper. So paper tuning, right? I paper tune my bow and I'll index every single arrow. So what that means is I'll paper tune an arrow, right? Or I'll paper tune three arrows to make sure I don't have one anomaly arrow. I'll shoot, make sure I get three bullet holes out of those three different arrows. And if I don't get a bullet hole out of one of those arrows, I'll spin the knock. I shoot a four fletch, I'll spin the knock a quarter twist mm -hmm. and see if it changes the tear. Twist it again, see if it changes the tear until I get a bullet hole. If that, if I have those other two arrows bullet hole and that one arrow doesn't bullet hole, I scratch that arrow. That arrow doesn't make it into my quiver. And the only thing that does make it into my quiver is every arrow that will index to paper tune. Once I paper tune every arrow, I'll take a silver Sharpie and I'll mark the top of the knock and the arrow to show where this arrow indexes so I can put that arrow on the same every time, right? So during this time of the year, like today, today is one of my days actually, is my, is my shoot through paper day. My arrows are tuned. So what I'm doing is I want to see if anything in my hand has changed, anything in my pressure against my the string, pressure against my face has changed, anything like that. I'll shoot 100 arrows through paper to make sure I'm getting a bullet hole. 100% of the time. And me knowing that those arrows are indexed, they're paper tuned. All the other arrows have paper tuned. This arrow is one of the arrows that have paper tuned. And I shoot a hole, I shoot a tear, a bad tear with that arrow. I know it wasn't the arrow, I know it was me. So I'll make sure that I'm creating the best repetition I can in my in my shot form in my shot execution by doing this yeah. it's the worst it's a heck of a discipline it's hard it's like watching paint dry but my groups have tightened yet again at distance by doing this yeah i think people i'm going to give a couple warnings for people because you're not yasti you're not pro probably um there's a good chance that you're going to have a high level of variance in your hand position, in your string pressure, 
if you're not filming yourself and you haven't trained to become a robot like Yasti, where because that's what we're all looking to do with archery is become the most repeatable robot shooting a bow. Absolutely. And it's hard to yeah. do if if you haven't been coached. So I would say that's pretty next level. I want to try it for sure. I want to ask you about your four fletch. I'm assuming it's a 90 degree. Or do you do, do offset? No, I do uh I do a 90 degree uh four fletch with a uh 1 degree off with a 1 degree helical. Um and I I don't know. I, I feel there's just a little bit more steering ability with a four fletched arrow. Yeah. Versus a three fletch. Yep. Um. I and I of course you're gonna get that guy that goes. Well, what about drag? You get the parachute effect. The parachute effect is when you shoot. You're shooting great out to forty, fifty yards. Right. And all of a sudden, you watch your group. Uh, become. Let me look. Let me think of the word that I'm looking for. Become less forgiving. Reason being is because your arrow is now slowing down faster, giving it more time in the air to error. So uh, if your error is bad in your shot, it's going to show up even more with a, with an arrow that has a lot of parachute effect in it. Um, I, I play around with a lot of fletching uh, to find what really works great for me. Um, certain bows shoot different fletchings, you know, differently. And like last year I was shooting, uh, AAE's, uh, PM 230 out of my Hoyt Ultra. This year I'm shooting a Hoyt Helix Turbo and, uh, I went to a higher profile vein. I went, I tried my PM 230s. They shot okay. But as soon as I went to a higher profile vein with the faster setup, it cleared everything up really fast. Like it was easier to tune my bow. It was easier to uh, keep every arrow in tune. It worked really good. And I went from m more of a degree with a smaller profile to less of a degree helical with a higher profile. So when, when we start talking about... Um, distance and everything else you have to keep that in mind a five degree helical is not always the best case scenario when you start to shoot distance yeah no doubt um and i like that you said every bow is different we have a tagline on our youtube channel abt always be tinkering to find those sweet spots and people love that they just people are always talking about abt but it's just kind of a way of a life if you're an archer um I want to know. So, you're an Eastern guy. I, no, I shoot gold tip. Oh, you I shoot gold, gold tip. tip. I, start out, I start out with Eastern, and I'm I've I've been with gold tip for years now. Okay, let's talk gold tip. Then that's fine. I I'm not. I don't have an arrow relationship. Um, I've just historically shot Eastern, and slowly okay. over time, kind of graduated from Full Metal Jackets to the Axis, and I'm sure you're familiar with that. And so. It's kind of where I'm at, but I'm not married to any arrow brand. I'm just a tinkerer of sorts, but let's talk about your setup for elk. Since this is elk shape, let's talk about your arrow choice. Geek out. Give us all the deets. Obviously, FOC a little. We can talk about that, but the spine and any extra components you put to your arrows. I love the indexing you do, but let's hear about your arrow setup and the business end for elk specifically. 
Okay, so a lot of people um, are going to want to hang me for this. I've seen the noose a few times. Don't worry about it. I'm used to it. <laughs> I shoot a mechanical. I shoot a mechanical. Okay. I do. I shoot a mechanical for everything. Um, Which one? And it's, I shoot Severs 1.5. It's literally, it's not because I started a relationship with, this, with them this year. It's because I went and looked for what, I wanted in a broadhead. And I remember years ago, man, this is going to start getting my age up, man. I don't like this. Um, I remember the Omer Edge when it first came out. And it it intrigued me quite a bit. It flew like a dart. Um, I didn't like the blade angle at the time. It flew like it flew great, but I didn't get the penetration that I always wanted. When they came out with the 1.5 with a better blade angle, said, all right, this is this is something that's catching my interest yet again. And I talked with a guy uh, over at, I talked with Craig over at uh, Sever. He sent me over some heads, uh, spun them on, and I shot a about a three-inch group at 100 yards with him. And I was like, well, they're, they're dang sure grouping. I have an antelope tag in my pocket. See what these Severs are going to do. So I shot my antelope this year at 72 yards, and I found my arrow about 20 yards on the other side of the antelope. It's like, all right, penetration's looking great. Now now we're talking. I shot a company the year before that wasn't, that shot great, but penetration was nil, to say the least. And... Um, I wasn't happy with it, so I, like I say, you know, we're tinkers, right? ABT. Um, I moved on, you know, I had to find something that I found that would cater to my liking. Killed my bull at 80 yards with it this year. Killed my deer at 30 yards with it this year. I'm, I'm going on a lion hunt with it. I'm going on two lion hunts with it. I'm going on a uh, coos deer hunt with it. So this, this is the head that I'm going to use until they make a better head and I don't think it's going to happen for a while. It's a fantastic head. Getting back to it. Um, I shoot a mechanical, I shoot a seven 1.5 business end. Um, I'm shooting gold tips, airstrike three hundreds. Um, it sounds like it's a stiffer, uh, arrow for my draw length. I have a 27 and a half inch draw length. And, uh, you would think that'd be a little stiff. I don't, I don't know. I don't always agree with too stiff. I, I do agree with too weak. Correct. Yeah. But I don't know too stiff. I mean, I shoot a 300 spined arrow and my arrow is only 25 inches long yet. I can, I shoot the cleanest, uh, holes through paper with that setup. 73 pounds. Um, AAE, uh, stealth max veins and a four fletch one degree helical. Uh, my arrow weight finishes out right at about 426 grains. This is actually heavier than I'm used to shooting. Really? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm that guy that says there's always a happy medium for everything. Sure. Um, I think that I want my, I want my bow to be as forgiving as possible. Not only forgiving in the shop, but forgiving in time of flight so say 
I'm shooting a 500 grain arrow that's only shooting 250 feet per second versus the arrow that I'm shooting now, which is 426 at uh, 284. And I shoot at an animal that was at 72 yards, but now has stepped out to 75. My 426 grain arrow is going to have way more forgiving vertical line than that 500 grain arrow is. So I want that little bit of that little bit of a buffer for those distant shots and not give up all of my penetration as well. You know, so there's a happy medium with all of it. I'm definitely not a, not a heavy arrow guy. I'm definitely not a light arrow guy. I will go on to say that I shot through a bull at 45 yards with a 350 grain arrow. So, I mean, there, that, in my opinion, is a little light. That's just my opinion. It's, you know, I, I, I to, to each his own. It's a little light for me. I have done it, but it is a little light. Um, I, like I say, there's always a happy medium. I want a relatively heavy arrow, not too, super, super heavy. My last year's setups for the past, you know, three or four years has been right there, uh, 380 to 390. And they've done, they've fared well for me. I'm shooting a faster bow this year. So, and I like shooting right in that 280, 285 foot a second range. Mm -hmm. That's where I feel my setup is super forgiving. That's where I feel I can control well. Um, Everybody goes, well, don't you want a faster setup because of your shorter draw? Remember, we're looking for happy mediums. We're looking for a good, a good weight arrow, yet a good speed will give us a, a decent amount of momentum qualities. I'm not into the whole KE thing. KE was made for guns, and we adopted it into archery. What I'm worried about is my momentum qualities. Yeah. I Again, I think we align there, too. Uh, I tend to be a little bit heavier than you, but I, I mean, I was killing elk for years with the 505 to 525 range. And then right. I went down, and I've gone down, and I'm at 454. Um, I don't put a lot of extra things up front. I don't mess with like all the fancy half certs, out certs. I don't do a lot of that. Um, I try to keep my FOC in that 13 to 15% range. Uh, I, I, I've just evolved, you know, and it, what's interesting to me is that, you know, everyone's got to find their spot, but I do think there's something to be said about that happy medium. I don't think there's a better way to phrase it because you'll have a lot of Falk guys out there that are just like front of center, front of center. Um, there's a guy on YouTube called Ranch Ferry. Uh, you know, I don't think he's ever killed an elk. I could be wrong, but he's killed pigs and he preaches, <laughs> he preaches all this heavy, heavy arrows. And I just feel like, uh, I like talking to guys like you who've actually killed a ton of animals with a bow and have had been elbow deep, you know, cutting them all up. And you've looked and examined and done the autopsies and you've been able to see what works for you and kind of figure out your happy medium. You know what I mean? Absolutely, man. I mean, when you stop, when you think you know it all is when you stop learning, you Mm. know, when, when is, when is when you start going stupid and that's, I hate to say it so rudely, but the truth is truth. Um, there is a happy medium to everything. 
what good is that FOC if the arrow never gets to the animal? I mean, I like shooting distance. Yeah. If I shot a 550, 600-grain arrow, my arrow, I would be practicing at the very, very most, like 90 yards. I practice at 140 yards all the time. I, I, I love it. That's where my fletching on this particular setup starts to hit. My fletching starts to hit the bottom of the site at about 142 yards. Got it. So I practice at 140 all the time so that when I do step up to 70 yards, I'm messing up arrows. I'm clacking arrows. I'm breaking knocks. I'm, I, I don't – it's not my, – my 70 yards would be the – I hate – I'm not being cocky. I'm just being confident and truthful. My 70 yards is most people's 20 yards. That's how comfortable I want to be at 70 yards. That's how comfortable I, I, I want to be like, oh, man, this is a done deal. You know, after practicing at 140 yards from April till the end of August and never stepping in, I know I can make that 70-yard shot every day, no matter what. I And I do practice in the wind. I practice in the wind more than I practice on a dead day. I, I, I want to see, I want to see my, what my arrow is doing on this kind of crosswind on that kind of crosswind. I want to be familiar with it. I want to know if it's going to drift an inch. I want to know if it's going to drift a foot. I want to be ready all the time. And this is a little bit of coaching for everybody. I hope everybody gets this. We will never be able to bow, hold a bow still completely dead still. Our objective by using stabilizer weight, you know, front weight, back weight on our on our counter bar and our straight bar is to help slow down that movement. But we're never going to be able to hold that bow dead still. And I'm thankful that we're never going to be able to hold The only time you can hold that bow dead still is if you're dead yourself. <laughs> so as long as that bow is moving, I know I have a pulse in my body. I know I'm, I'm happy to be on this side of the dirt. So I'm happy. I use that as happiness. I use that. The mental side of it. I use that as, man, I got movement. I'm good. I'm still alive. I'm here. I'm Two, smiling. I'm smiling. Keep going. Two, we have to accept the movement. Accept the movement. The more you can accept movement, the easier the shot's going to break. What the wind does for me is lets me understand that I am human. The wind lets me understand that I am here because I love to feel the wind. Because I love to feel the elements around me. I'm going to use that energy. I'm going to use that feeling to make this beautiful, perfect shot. And when people start accepting that is when they're going to realize, wow, I don't have to hold it completely still. Wow. I can make this shot. Wow. This is a different way to think. Oh, that's good stuff. Uh, uh, last question for you, Asti. I know I've kept you over an hour. Um, no, worries, brother, no worries. I want to talk about your site, your site of choice. I'm really curious to, are you that single pin guy since you can slide out to 140? Um, what are you using? I want give me the deets, the pin size. You can talk, you know, if you're if it's a sponsorship, tell us who you're sponsored by and why you use it. I am currently using a Trueball Excel five pin slider. Uh, my bottom pin becomes my floater pin. So my top pin is 30 yards down through 70. So 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. That's my pin setup at zero. So when I mean zero, that's my 
That's where I go back to my zero point. My bottom pin becomes my slider. And if it's 74, 75, whatever, I move that site right with that. I move that pin to that mark. And um, I use a five pin because I've had a single pin bite me too many times in the elk woods. How many times have you drawn your bow when the elk is there at 15 yards and he spooks, but you get him stopped at 40? I don't want to guess you know, how much am I going to hold that single pin over him anymore? I know I have a 40 yard pin. I know where to hold. I know, you know, I've already taken pre-ranged everything around me. He ran out to 40. Good enough. There's my 40 pin. And I've killed way more of a bull using multi-pin sites. And I have single pin sites for the very exact reason I just gave. Folks, don't, don't shy away from a multi-pin site. Don't shy away from distance. Practice, 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 practice. And don't just practice. Make perfect practice. Perfect practice makes perfect. Um, another great site is Spot Hogs. Spot Hogs uh, Hog Father is amazing. You have a third axis uh, adjustment built into it. That that little hairline, that wire yeah. in the middle of that part, Yeah, you can use that to see whether your third axis is on or off. You know, you go to the corner, you go to the corner of the house, line that string up, that line to the corner, you know, the corner where the corner meets in the in your house or wherever, angle down, make sure that line is in the middle of the corner and look at your level. If it's off, you know your third axis is off. It's a built-in third axis. It's one of the best sites ever. Um, I don't even have one, but I know but I've used them before. Love them to death. Um, that is the best free promotion I think I can give for a dang site company, man. Because it's the truth. I don't. I'm not going to let you know. Uh, what do you call? I'm not going to let the truth be hidden, just because you know somebody wants me to say something else. You know, the truth is the truth. Spot Hog makes a fantastic site, and it's the most durable site on the market, probably. I think that that's the definite truth. I mean, they're built for war. Um, on your true ball Excel, yeah. what's the third? I haven't touched one, and I'm more familiar with Black Gold and Spot Hog than any other site manufacturers. But uh, I know a lot of professional shooters use true ball products. Uh, where what's their third axis adjustment like on that site? It's very easy, very easy to adjust, very easy to adjust. Um, it's your, your, your head, your sight head moves in and out to allow, um, for third axis adjustment. I use a, a Hamsky third axis adjustment mm -hmm. to help. And, uh, that's the truest, uh, third axis adjustment, uh, piece on the market. I don't care what anybody says. It, it really gives you the truth of third axis and, um, that's something that I think a lot of people need to be educated on as well. What third axis really is. Um, I don't know if you want to get onto it on another to at another time or whatever, but we should probably talk about a little bit more technical stuff whenever you do have time. I do. Help. I do want to do a full episode on technical archery. If you want to, I think we should bring you back. I will say we do third axis adjustment in person at every elk shape camp because it's That's something awesome, that gets dude. overlooked and it seems like a lot of shots 
are busy and it's turn and burn and they don't have the time to, they don't make the time to address it. Um, but we, you've already given away so much gold in this podcast that I have to say, oh, everybody stop, <laughs> go digest this, listen to this one twice is what I would suggest. You're looking at a lot of experience in, in this guy, Yasti, and uh, I just, I don't know, I've done a lot of podcasts, Yasti, you're a wealth of knowledge, you got a lot of experience. Wow. I like Thanks your for style. having me. I really appreciate it. Um, like you say, you follow me on Instagram. Um, I saw every once in a while I do give some little things on Instagram. I think it's Yasti PK, is it not, or something like that? Yep. I don't even know my I'll, Instagram. How bad is that? I'll put it uh, um, a link in the show notes too. So everybody, if you just check on the show notes, I'll have a link to his Instagram, and uh, that way people can follow along. And if you're not following him, what are you doing? Put out some really good content. Um, what else can people find you? I just got uh, scolded by partners uh, for not having, um, what do you call We We talked about this a little earlier about uh, giving out secrets and giving this out. And I always thought by posting a picture, people were going to know where I hunted. I've had people follow me hunting. So I was kind of coy about it. And I just started my Instagram not long ago. That's all I have. I have Instagram, man. And it, I just got scolded by partners and sponsors for it. So now I do have an Instagram. Um, I think it's like Yasti. What is it, man? I just don't know. I don't even know how to find it on my phone. What is it? Yasti Perkins Killer Official is what it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I apologize for that to everybody. I just, you know, when you have people following you to your hunting spots, it just kind of makes you shy. And uh, I I do have something. Now, every once in a while, I'll put something on there, like little uh, little tips here and there. And I do shoot a lot of distance on there, too. So um, if you want to watch me lose some arrows in the air, you're welcome. <laughs> right on. Well, guys, I, uh, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Yasti is definitely an awesome resource and super humble guy for how amazing of an archer. And he said it, man, it's all about continuing your journey. And remember, separation is in the preparation. We will catch you on the next one. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Yasti. You can follow him on Instagram. I'll put a link in the show notes. I'll put a link in the show notes to all those discount codes. I will put a link to Oak Shape Camps. Check out our YouTube series. This is the Public Land Hustle. I think it's somewhere around 20 episodes, 30 states, 30 days, hunting solo, although I do have a cameraman most of the time, and watching how I elk hunt and watching the method behind my madness. It's, uh, it's a journey, and I can't wait to bring you guys along. We worked really hard on this, so check it out. That's at youtube.com backslash elkshape. Hit the subscribe, hit the bell, just be notified when it drops. That's all it does. And then you can watch from your phone or maybe from your uh, TV if you have one of those smart TVs, I'm sure you do. Um, meanwhile, we're finishing up the podcast. 2021's coming up. Have you looked at 2020 from an angle of how can I get better? How can I get better at my faith? How can I get better as a husband, as a father, as a mother? As a coworker, as an employer, as an employee, how can I get better at my workouts, at my nutrition? Why not start reflecting on that stuff and get ready 
to set the stage for the best year of preparation yet. That's 2021. I'm going to help you do that. The slate's wiped clean. You haven't killed an elk in 2021. And guess what? I haven't either. I damn sure want to. And so I'm going to do everything possible to elevate my game. I'm going to put those weaknesses at the top of the list and I'm going to work hard. So if you're still listening to this podcast, thank you for your support. Thank you for understanding that the process matters and enjoy it. Work hard every day in the name of better elk hunting. We will catch you on the next one. Remember, separation is in the preparation.